Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We believe and we know that Jesus saves. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2 is where I'll read from. If you are our guest just now joining us, we've been going through the Bible since last September, book by book, preaching one sermon out of each book. This week, you're going to be reading 1 Thessalonians. It shouldn't take you very long, only five chapters, but you'll want to read it more than once because every chapter has some reference to the second coming of Jesus. Paul wrote this letter when he was in Corinth. He was in Corinth about 18 months, and he wrote back to the church at Thessalonica. He sent Timothy there to check on that church because Paul was not there very long. And he wanted to check on the believers there, and Timothy came back, gave a good report. Paul writes this letter to encourage them. It could be that 1 Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul wrote. We're not sure between that and Galatians. There's some debate, either one, but we know it was early, about 51, 52 AD when he wrote this to them. And he wrote it to encourage them about the second coming of Jesus and also to encourage them to live steadfast lives because of the coming of Christ, to remain faithful, to stay in there. This church was founded on Paul's second missionary journey and Believe it or not, Paul was only in town about three weeks before he got run out of town. And so then he went to Berea, and that same mob followed him to Berea, and they ran him out of town there, and then he wound up going to Athens. And so this passage today is, is, alludes to that. And In fact, if you'll look in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... Even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Pete walked up to his teacher holding his report card. It had a big red F on it. And he looked at his teacher and he said, if I were you, I would change this while you still can. (laughs) And she said, why is that? And he said, because my daddy told me that if I brought home one more failing report card, someone was going to get a beating. <laughs> now, you may not have been as smart, smart enough as Billy who brought his report card home. And unfortunately, it had a couple of F's on it. So he brought it to his dad and he said, Dad, here's my report card. And by the way, here's one of your old report cards that I found in the attic. <laughs> You know, I still don't understand the grading system. I know F means for failing. That, that's a given. But that's the only one that matches. 
I mean, A, obviously, is the highest grade, but it, it doesn't mean awesome. Or B, means good instead of being beautiful. Or C, means average or complacent. And then D means poor. I, I never have really. And then they skip from D to F. Maybe you never got an F on your report card, but I'm pretty sure that every one of us in this room have failed at something. And if you haven't, you're dismissed. <laughs> you can go on to lunch or wherever you're going. Because all of us have failed. You know, a true story, back in 1978, there was a, 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 a strike by the firemen in Britain. And so the British Army was taking the place of the firefighters to, for emergency firefighting. And on January the 14th, they were called by an elderly lady in South London to retrieve her cat. And they arrived with impressive speed. They cleverly and carefully rescued the cat. They started to drive away, and the lady was so thankful, so grateful, she invited the whole squad in for tea. And so they came in and had tea with the lady, and they had a, a lot of, of good fellowship there. And, and then as they were driving off from all the fond farewells and warm, and warm waving of arms, they ran over the cat and killed it. <laughs> For all you cat lovers, I'm sorry. If you've, never, if you've never failed, then you've never attempted anything. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, I, Laura and I came with our three little ones in 1988, but can you imagine for a moment if after I got here to Southcrest, somebody did some investigating in Tyler where we lived for four years before we moved to Lubbock, and they found out that I had been in jail in Tyler and that had pretty much been run out of town and we came to Lubbock, well, the chances are good that Somebody would have stirred up trouble here, and then maybe we would have had to leave. Well, I'm glad that didn't happen. First of all, I haven't been in jail yet, but I haven't been in jail. But that's exactly what happened to Paul. Because Paul was in Philippi, and on trumped-up charges and unjustly tried, he was thrown into jail with Silas. And they began to sing, and then an earthquake happened. They'd been beaten, and they were jailed, and probably in stocks and chains. And, and then the earthquake came, and they were released. The Philippian jailer was saved, and his family. And then they made their way, he made his way to Thessalonica. About 200,000 people, about the size of Lubbock. And a, a very important town in the Roman Empire at that time. And, and so Paul comes in there, and immediately there are some people that respond to the gospel, primarily Gentiles, primarily slaves and workers, this fellow blue-collar workers. There were a few Jews that followed Jesus, but there were a bunch of Jewish people that did not like the fact that Paul was preaching that Jesus saves. And, that, and he was preaching that Jesus is the only way. And so they got a mob together after about three weeks they got a mob together, and Paul and Silas found out about it. They were planning to kill them, and they left town in the middle of the night, and they went to Berea, and Paul preached there for a little bit, and that same group came to Berea and ran him out, and then he went to Athens. Now, if you think about failure, you would think Paul would have been considered a failure. 
Maybe you have failed in some places in your life. If I, if, when I mention the word failure, immediately something comes to your mind. It might have been a failed marriage or a failed job. Maybe you were fired or you were asked to resign. Maybe you applied for a scholarship or a job and they overlooked you. You didn't get it. You might be suffering from failing health. You might be suffering from uh, a financial failure. Maybe you feel like you failed as a parent or you failed in a business venture. But for all of us who've ever failed... And we'll do so in the future from time to time. Paul is a great example, or right here is a great example of what to do when you fail. To go from failure to fruitfulness. The first thing I want you to see is that you need to remember that failure is not always final. Paul said in verse 1, after he gave some introductory remarks in chapter 1, Then he says, you know, our visit to you was not a failure. He says, in vain. Well, now, why do you think he wrote that? Why did he write, our visit to you was not in vain, even though we were only there three weeks? Because probably the enemies of the gospel and the enemies of Paul were telling him he was a shyster, he would have stayed longer, and him coming here was a miserable failure. I'm sure Paul was disappointed. I, I wouldn't want to have to leave in the middle of the night. But nobody's enjoys gets running, gets, nobody enjoys getting run out of town. But with the perspective of time, Paul insisted, he said, God turned what looked like a failure into something that is being used for his glory. Paul kept on preaching. If I'd been run out of town at least two times, I'd have probably said, this must not be my calling. But Paul had a calling on his life. And when God calls you to do something, even though you may run into a snag every now and then, or even though you may fail every now and then, you don't quit. I like what Charles Noble wrote. He said, you must have a long-range goals to keep you from being frustrated by short-term failures. The long-range goal was to present the gospel. Now, Paul had some failures along the way. And that may be true of you. The truth is, all of us fail from time to time. But I've got some great news for you. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. In other words, just because you have failed does not make you a failure. In fact, William Brown put it this way. If you, don't, you're, if you don't get anything else I say, you get this. Failure is an event, never a person. Failure is an event, never a person. You may have failed in an event or a circumstances, but that doesn't mean you are a failure. Even righteous people, good people fall. And fail, but the righteous person gets up and keeps on trying. The wicked person stumbles and stays down. When you read the Bible, it's like a who's who for failures. Y'all know what who's who is? I never was in the who's who, I was in the who's he. (laughs) But when you read the Bible, it's like a who's who of failure. 
Hebrews 11, we call the, the great faith chapter, the heroes of the Bible. Did you know it's also the chapter of failures? Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. Jacob and his mother Rebekah lied to Isaac in order to steal the blessing that belonged to Esau. Moses killed a man. And because he lost his temper later, he failed to enter the promised land. Jesus had two disciples. Two of them failed miserably. One of them betrayed him and did not repent. Judas, Peter on the other hand, who said, Lord, if these other disciples forsake you, I never will. And he denied him three times. But Peter did repent and Jesus restored him. The Bible's full of people who failed. John Maxwell has written a lot of books on leadership In one of those books, he says, failing doesn't mean I'm a failure. It just means I've not yet succeeded. It doesn't mean I've accomplished nothing. It just means that I've learned something. It doesn't mean I've been a fool. It just means I've had the courage to take a risk. It doesn't mean God has abandoned me. It just means he has a better idea. I don't know the author of this. Failure does not mean I have disgraced. It It does mean I have dared to try. Failure does not mean I don't have it. It does mean I have something to do in a different way. Failure does not mean I'm inferior. It does mean I'm not perfect. Failure does not mean I have wasted my life. It does mean that I have an excuse to start over. Failure does not mean that I should give up. It does mean that I should try harder. It does not mean that I will never make it. It does mean that I need more practice. Failure does not mean that you've abandoned me, God. It does mean that you must have a better idea. So, folks, the first thing Paul would say is failure's not final. And if you failed, and you have, and so have I, it doesn't mean that we're done. It doesn't mean that God has written us off. It is not final. The second thing, we need to remain faithful in spite of our failure. Did you notice what he said in verse 2? But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. The word suffered speaks of physical abuse. They were physically abused, beaten, thrown into jail, spitefully Treated means to publicly disgrace somebody or to legally abuse them. They were unjustly judged. They were made prisoners when they had committed no crime. But Paul said, but my confidence was not in my circumstances or not in me, but in God. Later in Ephesians 6, he writes, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says that his weakness became the best tool for the strength of God in him to be used for his glory. And the term gospel of God in verse two, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. What is the gospel of God? It is God revealing from heaven the fact that he still loves us that Jesus Christ died for our sins and because of his grace and his mercy and because of the payment that Jesus made, we can be saved and be his children. He takes all of us, all he takes all our failures, he takes us who were separated from God 
and we are made right with him. That's the gospel of God. He said we were bold, but we had suffered in much conflict. The word conflict is the word agonia. Agony, we get our word from, it means there was an agony of soul and that he preached the gospel. It was his calling. Paul had such a desire to see people who were separated from God come to him. Now think about it. Paul was one of those religious guys. He was Pharisee. And he even hated those Christians. And he was on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians and he met Jesus and now because of the gospel that he had realized that Jesus really did come to save we ought to sing about that every now and then he came to save and that and he said and the gospel that God's revealed his salvation comes through his grace and mercy through Jesus Christ who paid the price The gospel of God, he had such an agony of soul to give that to everyone else. But when when he started to do that, it came in conflict. I want you to know something. Anytime you share the gospel, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be opposition. Let me put it that way. Conflict sounds like you're going to be in a fight. But, you know, when you tell people that there's only one way, to be saved and that's through Jesus Christ it makes some people mad and when you tell them that there's only one way to heaven there's not a lot of different paths to go to heaven it makes people mad and and Paul wrote later to the Corinthians he said when you preach the gospel of the cross it's offensive to people Except for those of us who've been saved, we know that the cross speaks of our redemption and the salvation has been paid. But when you, you speak of the cross, that one man died for the sins of all the world and, and that when we trust him and are saved, some people just say, no, no, you, you've got to earn this and you've got to do this and Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. There's opposition and that's what they were facing. He said, but we were bold We were bold to present the gospel of God, even though it may look like we failed. And folks, sometimes when we do things, it may look like we failed. Maybe you look back at some some of you Sunday school teachers. You teach, and you think, boy, nobody got anything today, or nobody said a word, or... I failed today. I want to tell you, you never fail. You never fail talking about Jesus. You never fail teaching his word. It never returns void. Even though I I can tell you from from experience, there are days when it feels like what I say runs right off and goes right there in the flowers. (laughs) But I know that's not true because God's word goes in ways and even though you may goes in ways that we don't know about, and even though you may feel like you failed at times, you keep being faithful to God. Don't let one circumstance stop you from serving the Lord. I meet people all the time who've had such a bad experience somewhere in a church. Don't let one bad spot keep you from serving the Lord. 
God's people are not perfect. They're just forgiven. They've just been saved. We're to remain faithful. The third thing, you need to retain the focus in the midst of the failure. Look at verses 3 and 4. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Even so we speak. We've been entrusted with the gospel. Banks, financial institutions have trust departments. You donate or you put your money in a trust, you expect it to be managed well. God has entrusted us with the good news of Jesus. If, if, Christians, if Christians don't tell people about Jesus, how are they going to know? How are the other people going to know? If they stumble across a Bible, yeah, maybe they can find it, but, but we've been entrusted. God saved us, and he says, I'm entrusting you to share the gospel. Well, I'm afraid I, I, I will, I've, I've tried that before and I failed. I, I told somebody about Jesus and, and they didn't want anything to do with it and they didn't have anything. To, they didn't accept Jesus. I want to tell you something. You can never share Jesus and fail. They may not respond like you think they're going to, but the Holy Spirit will use it to speak to their hearts. Sometimes you're sowing seed. Sometimes you're watering that seed. We like to think that the harvest, the harvest is the, where we don't fail. There are a lot of agriculture guys in here, a lot of farmers in here. You've already put seed in the ground. You're thanking God for the rain. Does that mean you've already, but you don't have any cotton or grain or corn or whatever it is you're growing. You don't have any of that yet. Have you failed? No. It's just not harvest time yet. When you share the gospel with someone, it doesn't mean you've failed. It just not, may not be harvest time for them yet. Jim Stovall said, conventional wisdom might tell us that people who succeed never fail and failures never succeed. Nothing could be further from the truth. Failure isn't final. It's the fertilizer for your future success. The only thing that is final is when you quit. You got to retain your focus. Who am I serving? Who am I following? What am I doing for the Lord? I'm not going to stop just because one thing bad happened to me. There's some famous people. When I mention their names, you're going to know them. See if you can guess who they are. He was fired from a newspaper for, quote, lacking imagination and having no original ideas. Walt Disney. She was demoted from her job as a news anchor because the producer said she wasn't fit for television. Oprah Winfrey. At 30 years old, he was devastated and depressed after being removed from a company he started. Steve Jobs, Apple. He failed the sixth grade, was defeated in every election for public office until he became England's prime minister. You ought to get this one. Winston Churchill. He was fired after his first performance at the Grand Old Opry. 
He was told by the manager, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck. Elvis Presley. I knew you'd know him. Emperor Ferdinand criticized him and said his operas were far too short, excuse me, far too noisy and contained far too many notes. Wolfgang Mozart. Y'all do know who Michael Jordan is. In 2006, he made a commercial for Nike. Here's what it said. I've missed, I've missed over 9,000 shots. I almost, I lost almost 300 games. 26 times I was entrusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Paul spent much of his time in prison. Would you call him a failure? In fact, he boasted that even being in jail gave him a great opportunity to share the gospel. Listen to Philippians 1, 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in change for Christ. Now, I got to thinking about that verse. I'm sure that every guard that he was chained to, he talked to about Jesus. And some of them came to know Jesus. But what about those Roman guards who didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus? I wonder if they drew straws and said, today you get to be chained to Paul. I've heard all about Jesus I want to hear. See, Paul was a, an original optimist. He turned a jailhouse into a church house. He turned change into a congregation. He turned a prison into a pulpit. He stayed focused on Jesus. And no matter what's happened to you, you can put your focus and keep it there on him. Charles Colson was arrested during the Watergate scandal. He was an Ivy League, Ivy League trained lawyer. He was a Marine captain. He was a bloodthirsty political fighter. He even made the statement that he would walk over his own grandmother to reelect Richard Nixon. But the turning point in his life is that when he was arrested because of the Watergate scandal, and right before he went to prison, somebody gave him a copy of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And he was at such a low point in his life that he realized how much he needed Jesus. And that's when he became a follower of Jesus. And he spent time in prison. And when he got out, he founded the Prison Fellowship. He authored 30 Christian books. And he had a syndicated radio program entitled Breakpoint. It had 1,400 stations. He received the Templeton Prize for Religious Work. President George W. Bush awarded him the Presidential Citizens Award. His failure became the catalyst for success. In his book, Born Again, he said these words, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. Keep your focus. Remember who you are. Even in the midst of what appears to be failure, you remember who you are. From Paul's writing, we also see the formula 
that leads to failure. You need to realize this. Look at verse 4. Even so we speak not as pleasing men. The first Pulitzer Prize for reporting was given to Herbert Swope. He later served as the editor of the New York World. His most famous quote is this, I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure. Try to please everybody. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. If you spend your life trying to please people, you'll never succeed. Abraham Lincoln is credited with saying, you can fool some of the people all the time and all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. I want to add to that. You can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people some of the time. (laughs) Believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe there are people who do not like me. I hate to tell you, there's going to be some people who don't like you either. (laughs) You can't please, you can't live your life trying to please people. Now, I want you to understand, I want all of you to like me. And I want to please people. But there comes a time when you take a stand that some people don't agree with. So I always try to make sure it's what God would have us do. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Paul even said in Galatians, am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And sometimes when you're Christian life, you're going to be faced with the choice. Am I going to do what God wants me to do? Or am I going to do what everybody else wants me to do? And you need to make sure it's what God wants you to do. There's not going to be a lot of times in your life like that, but occasionally you have to take a stand on the things of God. And if God said it, that's where we need to stand. But if you try to please people all the time, there's going to come a time when there's going to be a choice to make. We're not supposed to be obnoxious, rude. In fact, we're supposed to be the people that show the love of God in the world. But I don't care who you are, if you follow Jesus Christ, there's going to come a time when somebody's not going to like what you stand for or what you've said or how you're living because it convicts them. So the formula to fail is just try to please everybody instead of trying to please God. And the last thing is to reinforce your faith in the midst of the failure. It says in verse 4 that God is the one who tests our heart. You remember taking tests in school? You had to pass those tests. You you couldn't graduate unless you passed the test. There are people who cheat on the test. (laughs) I read of a teacher who contacted the football coach, said, Coach, I'm sorry, but your star quarterback, I caught him cheating on a test. He's not going to play Friday night. The coach went to the teacher and said, How do you know my quarterback's cheated? 
The teacher said he was sitting across from the smartest girl in the class. They had the same score. The coach said, so? That could be a coincidence. She said, no, look here. Look at question number 10. The smart girl said, the answer was, I don't. She, she answered it by saying, I don't know. And look what your quarterback put. He said, I don't either. <laughs> Do you remember when they told us about final exams? You got to take your final exams. They lied to us. I've been taking exams all my life. There's nothing final about them. It may get you out of that class. It may get you out of that grade. But life continues to be a series of tests. There's eye tests, stress tests, blood tests, taste tests. God said in Isaiah 48, 10, see, I've refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. There are places in the scripture where God says, I'm putting you to the test. I'm refining you. I grew up in a town that had oil refineries. And they would take gas and gasoline products out of the crude oil and make it usable. And God sometimes takes the test that we go through and takes out the elements that are not usable and says, I can now use you. They did a survey several years ago at Christianity Today, and they asked the subjects to name the time in their life when they grew the most spiritually. The number one answer was during a crisis. We grow more during the tests and the trials, and people confess that their faith grew during the times of personal adversity. There comes a time when you stay faithful. In 1937 is when the first presidential approval poll was put out by George Gallup. It was a simple question. Do you approve or disapprove of the way President so-and-so is handling his job as president? It's interesting at points in in their their, uh, time of service, they would be high and be low and all that. But you want to know who had the, the lowest average of the time spent in the presidential office? Harry Truman. 45.4%. 10 days after Truman was sworn in as vice president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt died. And now Truman's the president, the commander in chief. His average approval rating of his tenure was 45.4%. He had to make some tough decisions. He ordered the dropping of the atomic bomb on Japan to end World War II. He later fired General MacArthur during the Korean War. But one of his most unpopular decisions happened on May the 14th, 1948. Because at midnight, Israel time, the British formally ended their control of the area they called Palestine. And at the same moment in Washington, D.C., which was 6 p.m., President Truman and his cabinet knew that this day was coming, and they'd argued for several days. And the majority of his cabinet, including Secretary of State General George Marshall, violently opposed to recognizing Israel. But nevertheless, at 6.11 p.m., 
11 minutes after midnight in Tel Aviv, Charlie Ross, President Truman's press secretary, issued this statement. The president has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in Palestine. The United States recognizes the provisional government as the de facto authority of the new state of Israel. The first nation to recognize Israel was the United States. And against advice from most of his cabinet, Harry Truman recognized that when Israel was only 11 minutes old, he said, we'd back it. Well, chaos ensued. Three of his cabinet members threatened to resign. They later stayed, but they always disagreed with his decision. And of course, Congress was upset that they weren't consulted about the decision. (laughs) One day later, May 15th, the Arab armies attacked Israel. The first Arab-Israeli war began. But this time, Israel had an ally. Harry Truman has a reputation of being the most unpopular president. Many people would call him a failure. But he didn't care about popular opinion. (laughs) He wasn't afraid to fail. He said, the buck stops here. And when he was asked about his most unpopular decisions, here's how he responded. How far would Moses have gone if he'd taken a poll in Egypt? And what would Jesus Christ have preached if he'd taken a poll in Israel? And what would have happened to the Reformation if Martin Luther had taken a poll? It isn't polls or public opinion of the moment that counts. It's about right and wrong and leadership. And folks, when you stand for right and wrong and you walk with Jesus, there are going to be times when you feel like you fail, but you still stay in there. Paul according to the world standards, was a failure. He was unpopular. He spent more time in jail than he did in hotels. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned. According to Ignatius, when Nero was emperor, Paul was locked in the Marmotine prison in Rome. He was taken from prison and beheaded which was a benefit afforded him as a Roman citizen because it was a quick death, unlike crucifixion. But folks, the moment that Paul's head was severed from his body, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He wasn't a failure. I can prove it. We name our boys Paul. We name our dogs Nero. Paul's not a failure. But no matter what the failure may appear to you, it's not final. You may think that your life is so messed up you could not come to Jesus, that God would never have you. Every one of us in here was taken off of the scrap heap pile called humanity, sinful humanity. And God saved us. He forgave us and he saves us. And as a child of God, there are going to be some failures in your life. But if you will turn from that and confess that sin, God is still faithful and still just to forgive you of your sin. You could come to Christ today. No matter who you are. If you turn from your sin and come to him, God will take you. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus. They may feel as though that you could never love them because of all the mistakes they've always made and ever made.
I pray you'd show them how much you love them and want them and will forgive and receive them if they come through faith in Jesus Christ. For the believers in this room or who are watching us, I pray, God, that you will encourage them today that maybe they tried something once and it didn't work as like they thought it would or it wouldn't, it, it seemed to fail. But God, let them know that, that you're not done with them. Please encourage them, lift them up. I, I pray that you put them on their feet to help stay focused on you and to not quit regardless of what one person says or something does this, that, I pray, God, that you would you'd encourage them. I pray for those that need a church. If this is the place, God, bring them here. It's a big hospital for sinners. I pray for those that need to be baptized, that they would be unashamed to profess Jesus as their Savior. There are pastors here at the front to pray with you, to help you. We're not going to ask you to stand up here in front of everybody. People are going to have their heads bowed and their eyes closed, so they won't be watching. They're not going to be stared at by everybody. But some of you, there's a commitment that needs to be made. Some of you need to give your life to Christ. Some of you may need these pastors to pray with you. Some of you may need a church. Or maybe you need to be baptized. Or maybe God's, there's something else on your heart I've not mentioned. I want you to feel the freedom to come. And so I can't wait long because of the time. But when we stand, that tug at your heart, the Holy Spirit saying, this is what you need to do, that I want you to do it. So right now, would you quietly stand? Would you please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and pray and that people can respond? And would you come right now while we wait?